Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. my family and I were looking for a church that had a focus on children and youth. We had, our boys were both young at the time, and the church we are currently attending was the church that I grew up in and really didn't have programs to suit them. So we were looking for something that would uh, be impactful in their lives and fit our family and what we were looking for. So one day I just Googled churches in the Saxburg and Sarber area, and New Life popped up. I clicked on the link, uh, we visited, and uh, I've been attending ever since 2008, back when the services were held at the primary center. Once we attended New Life, we felt right at home first day. The sermons that were being preached were uh, impactful in our lives. They meant something to us, they touched our hearts, and um, we knew this was a place where number one, the Bible was being preached, and uh, God was being preached, and that uh, was a, a church family that accepted everybody, no matter what your background, and was filled with love and acceptance for all those who attended. New Life has impacted my life in several ways. The most prominent being uh, was the ability to go to Cuba on two different occasions, and. Uh, see the impact that New Life had on an international basis. Uh, being able to provide uh, the Cuban pastors uh, finances to purchase church buildings so they could continue to expand their ministries was something they'll never forget. Um, to see the joy in their faces, to see uh, the impact that it had on their local communities, just to have a building where they can meet and uh, preach the word of God to the, to the Cuban people was very powerful to me and something I'll never forget. I think New Life's already had a very significant impact on our local community. Adding an additional facility that focuses on children and families uh, would do even more so uh, to, to grow the kingdom and reach more people for Jesus. Uh, anytime you're focusing on children and families uh, like New, New Life has from day one, I think it uh, has an opportunity to reach more and more people for Jesus and make a greater impact on the community. are saying yes to the Yes Initiative because we understand the impact that the new facility can have on our community and on families in our region to reach more people for Jesus Christ. I'm Dave Lisinski and I'm saying yes.
Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor at the church with the big cross on the front. I don't know if you noticed, some of you didn't maybe, but there's a 30-foot tall cross out front now. That's something we've been hoping to have since day one when we built the building. In fact, somebody um, offered to pay for it when we built the building, but we couldn't get anybody to build it. Finally, eight weeks ago, we found a place uh, over in Zillianople that was able to construct it. It's aluminum and Lexan and one of the things we didn't realize, we told them we wanted to have little lights around the outside, you know. Well, they put 3,500 LED lights in it. So uh, it's a little bright. If you, our neighbor across the street can sit on their front porch and read their newspaper when it's on at night. Um, so I went over yesterday and I said to, you know, to the neighbors, we're really sorry. We didn't know it was going to be this bright. And the one couple said, oh, y'all doing so many good things, the fireworks and everything. And that was a good thing that we did the fireworks this summer. It sort of opened up the, you know, the community. But anyway, so uh, they said, no problem. And I said, well, we're going to dim it down. We have to figure out how first because I don't understand any of the technology. But I guess if it has dimmable drivers, it will be easier. If it doesn't, we'll have to change the drivers. But eventually, we're going to tone it down at night because the other neighbor said, oh, it's really beautiful, but it's really bright. Yes, so anyway, if you drive by at night, sometime after dark and before 9 o'clock, because we're going to turn it off at 9 o'clock from now, uh, for, at least until we get it dimmed down. Uh, so if you come by, it's, it's pretty incredible. So anyway, uh, we're in the midst of, uh, as you could see from that video, uh, a, a, an initiative called the Yes Initiative. It's going to be a three-year uh, fundraising campaign to uh, build the next building. And some of you haven't seen what the next building looks like. Over here are some drawings. It has all three floors. The out, out in the gathering area is drawings. It only has the main floor and the, the bottom floor. It doesn't have the top floor. Uh, unfortunately, we only have six of the, or five of those nice uh, things. So anyway, if you would like to um, ask any questions after you see those, just ask one of the staff folks or Chuck Mattis, who's our... our Chuck, would you stand up? Come on. Everybody, this is Chuck Mattis. He's an elder here at New Life. And... Uh, Chuck's an awesome guy, just, for, just he's just an awesome man of God, but he was the contractor for the overall uh, construction of this building, and he's overseeing the next construction project too, but he knows better than anybody uh, what that's all about, so if you have questions, he would be a very good guy to ask. Um, something else that happened this week, finally, uh, is uh, we, we attend to here at New Life, uh, even during our messages, we'll say, there's a great book that you should read, and uh, this week, a book came out from this um, author named Chris Marshall. Uh, it's a funny thing happened on the way to the beach. Um, some of you already read it because you couldn't wait uh, until it came, so you got it on Amazon. But it's uh, available today out in uh, on gathering area after worship. And uh, this book was written because some people had been asking me, how do you know when God's talking to you? And so what I did was wrote a book about all the ways that God has spoken to me. Literally, uh, it starts from before I was born until now. All the three churches I've served uh, out in Cincinnati, Glade Run over in Middlesex, and then here at New Life. And I hope that it will make a difference in how you understand God speaking to you. So, uh, you know, if, you, if you're interested, it'll be available. And uh, for those of you who are first-time guests, we have a free book that's also was written by me called Life Cycle of a Christian, and it's available at the Welcome Center, and you can pick that up after worship. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for all the ways we see you at work around here. And God, it's not just in the physical ways, but we do see the, the nice new cross that's out there and we see the potential for the next building coming soon. But what we really thank you for is how you're working in our lives. God, I pray today that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open our hearts, that we might receive your message, which is a challenging message uh, from Jesus' own lips. We ask today, God, that as we read his word, and as we talk together about what it means 
uh, to say no as well as yes in our lives, that you will guide us and that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So back in August, Pastor Brad preached a sermon on spiritual warfare from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Uh, and that was part of our series. In the summer, we usually do a book of the Bible, and it was Ephesians this year. And, and then in September, the very next month, at the, in our Engage Your Life series, uh, we actually did a, I did a, a message on spiritual warfare, and I also preached from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. And I would say both of those um, messages were practical and they were biblical. And we talked about the, the demonic forces, you know, in their Greek names, Arcus, Exusius, Cosmocraterus, Panarios. And if I had one critique of both of the messages, it would be simply this, that sometimes when we speak about spiritual warfare, it sounds too much like it doesn't really apply to our daily lives. Sometimes it can just seem like it's about angels and demons flying over us, you know, and all around us, but it doesn't really seem like it applies in right now, day to day, when we wake up in the morning until we go to bed at night, daily life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, spiritual warfare, but from the standpoint of how it's, it's part of our lives, literally from the moment we wake up until we go back to bed at night. And uh, last week, I said at the end of my message on counting the cost of saying yes, that there's always a no that goes with every yes. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about counting the cost of saying no. And, and the reality is this. Until we say no to ourselves, we are never going to say yes to God. Until we say no to ourselves, we are never going to say yes to God. A couple weeks ago, five of us from the church staff went down to Nashville, Tennessee for a conference. And at that conference, there was a speaker named Paul Tripp. And Paul Tripp made this statement during his message. He said, discipleship is an all-out war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And he went on to say that all too often we do think of spiritual warfare as this, you know, sort of this extraterrestrial thing, supernatural thing. And certainly it is that you know, between angels and demons, but he said, we forget that it is an all-out war between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, this majestic kingdom of God that, you know, is universal and, and God created all of us in all the universe, and he's even beyond that. And then he said, but the, the opponent is the kingdom of self. And he actually went like this. He said, and the kingdom of self is really tiny because it's just me. And the kingdom of God is majestic. And I haven't been able to get that image out of my mind over these past several weeks since, since he said that. Because I realized how true what he was saying was for me and, and what it is for all of us. Because every time we say yes or no to anything, what we're doing is we're either building up the kingdom of God when we say yes to him, or we're building up the kingdom of self when we say yes to ourselves. And, and so as I said, yes, no, it's very important from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So um, let's look at it this way, very practically. Tomorrow morning, my alarm's going to go off at 5 o'clock, and I have some choices. I can say yes and get out of bed, or I can say yes or no, I guess you might say. I can say no to getting out of bed, and I can, set, I can just go back to sleep for 15 more minutes or 30 more minutes or another hour, right? But what I do when I say no to getting out of bed is I say no to the kingdom of God and yes to the kingdom of self. And if you don't understand what I mean, I have a morning routine. It starts at 5 o'clock. I get out of bed and I go and I put my contacts in because that's a pretty important thing because I'm blind without them pretty much. got 2,400 vision. So I put my contacts in and I'm already praying. I'm already praying and I shave and I get dressed and I go down and I work out. And while I'm working out for a half hour, since now my workout is just riding a stationary bike, I pray. 
I pray for another half hour, and I continue to pray, and then I go up and have my Monday to Friday, I have my green smoothie. <laughs> green smoothie. Oh, they're so awesome. I can't even believe it. And, and, you know, and that's saying yes to the kingdom of God. You know how it is? Because it means that my body will last longer because I'm taking better care of it, because I'd sure rather be eating almost anything than a green smoothie. Although I did find out this week that if you put chocolate-flavored coconut water in it, it's not so bad. Looks terrible. Tastes a little better. But, but, and please, don't send me emails this week and say, oh, you should eat yogurt or you should eat fruit or you should eat a side of bacon. You know, I'm not, that's not the point. The point is, when I get up and go through this routine of, you know, exercising and praying and eating properly and then reading my Bible and planning, as I do that, I'm saying yes to the kingdom of God. But every moment, every one of those decisions, I could say no. Let's say I sleep into 6 o'clock. You know what happens? I don't exercise because I don't have time because the rest of my schedule is going to take over. And if I wait till 7 o'clock to get out of bed, which almost never happens, but if I do, then it's over. I mean, my day is just messed up. And it's all about, and it's been all about me. And, and the same thing happens at night. I come home, you know, or, or I, actually I work at home most of the time. But, you know, after dinner, I have a choice. I can turn on the television and sort of waste my life for the rest of the night. Or else I can, you know, spend time with Nancy or invest time with Nancy. Or I can read a book or I, I can actually go to bed early, which is always the goal. But when the World Series is on, it never seems to happen. You know, I mean... Go, go Indians, right? 11.30 last night. They won 7-2 for 3-1. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? I said yes to me last night. And no to the kingdom of God. I have a little less energy today than I would have had if I had gone to bed at 10 o'clock, say. And they had already won the game by then anyway. So if it really mattered, in, in the eternal scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that it looks like Cleveland's going to win their first World Series in 71 years and, and Chicago's not. But okay. That's what I'm talking about in your life. Do you think about when you wake up in the morning that you're either building the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? Are, are you that intentional that when you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off and you say, yes, I'm going to say yes to God today. I'm going to say no. Because the cost of saying no to myself is the kingdom of God grows within me. And the cost of saying no to the kingdom of God is that I just get inflated. And that's really not the goal of our lives if Jesus Christ is in charge of our lives. So as you think about your life moment by moment, yes and no, very important. And what I'm going to tell you today in the take-home point right now uh, is something about what God thinks when you say yes to him or no to him. And uh, for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we're seeking to make. And I've already been making that point, honing in on it right now. And here it is. When we say don't say yes, I'm sorry, to God first, we're responsible for our hunger and thirst. When we don't say yes to God first, we're responsible for our hunger and thirst. What does that mean? Well, it means that God tells us if we seek him and his kingdom first, he'll take care of us. But if we don't say yes to him first, we're on our own. So saying no to God is saying yes to having to take care of ourselves for the rest of our lives. Now, let's turn to Matthew 6, 19 to 33. We're going to see what Jesus had to say about this. In fact, Paul Tripp, it's sort of funny because I had planned to use Matthew 6, 19 to 33 from back in the spring for this particular day. But a couple weeks ago, Paul Tripp used this very same passage when he was talking about this spiritual war. I don't think that was a coincidence. And what he said is verses 19 to 32 are all a prelude to verse 33. And we're, we're going to see that that's the case. So Matthew 6, verse 19. If you uh, have your Bible, you can follow along or Bible app. It'll be up on the screen if you don't. But here's what Jesus said. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. 
All right? First thing first. If you uh, got the book that we gave out a couple weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, I guess, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, you know that the premise of The Treasure Principle is that God tells us to store up treasure. And you know it's from this verse where Jesus said, don't store treasure on earth. Why? Moths, you know, will eat them. Rust destroys them. Thieves take them. The earth is a bad place to store treasure. That's what Jesus says. So store up your treasure in heaven. So how do we do that? And Randy Alcorn says this. You can't take it with you. In other words, we can't, when we die, take our treasure to heaven, but we can send it on ahead. That's the basic premise of the book. And Jesus was very clear that bad things happen when we store our stuff here. And yet, the world tells us and our self tells us, this little tiny self says, I need more, I need more, I need more. In fact, we'll feel secure if we have a little bit more. And that's how, if, I, if anybody ever wants to know how much money's enough, I know, a little bit more, right? If you just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, then we'd have enough. But we won't, because if stuff is our focus, it will never be enough. King Solomon told us that, and he was the richest guy that, that basically ever lived before Jesus. And he said, if money's what you're looking for, you're never going to have enough. If stuff is what you're looking for, you're never going to have enough. And so here's how Jesus sums it up. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And, and we know the truth of that statement. If you have millions of dollars invested in the stock market or only your retirement, what do you do? You, you turn on the news and you see, how did the stock market do today? How's, how, are, how did my stock do today? You know, that's what you focus on. But on the other hand... If you, don't have the, the, if you don't have any stocks, you don't have to worry about how the stock market is doing. And I'm not saying don't plan for the future. But what I am saying is this. It was said the best I've ever heard it said by an elder in a church I served before New Life. And, and, and one of those churches, this elder, we were talking about the church's financial reserves. And, and one of the elders said, well, you know, we have to have some money for a rainy day. And this other elder said, well, how long does it have to rain? You know, how hard does it have to rain and for how long? And his point was, we have that money entrusted to us by the people who gave it so that we can build the kingdom of God. And we do that by using our time and our talents and our treasure and our touch effectively. For example, back in August when we were in Cambodia and we had the opportunity to buy the dressers for the little orphans. If you were here, you know that story. If you weren't, you know, a handful of us were told that one of the biggest needs they had at this particular orphanage was dressers so the little children could have their clothes in a place that wasn't the ground or the floor or, you know, hanging on a bunk bed. And so we took, uh, we received a collection from the people that were just there and we were able to buy those dressers. So we said no to ourselves in that moment. We gave away the money, which we could have used for something for ourselves. We gave it to them, and they got the dressers. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like a very big eternal thing. Well, maybe if you have dressers, it doesn't seem like a very big eternal thing. But those little kids didn't have any place to put their clothes, and now they do. And you know what they know? They know that God cares about them. And that's the whole point of this passage today is that God cares about us. And sometimes when we say no to us, when it comes to stuff and, and yes to giving it to help somebody else, that builds up their trust and their faith in the kingdom of God. So here's one thing that I know. The kingdom of God wins when we use our stuff to help others. It's always true. When we use our stuff to help others, the kingdom of God wins. So Jesus goes on to point out the importance of saying yes to God and no to money when it comes to defeating the kingdom of self. Here's what he said. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Notice he doesn't say it's really hard to serve both God and money. He says you can't. It's impossible to serve both God and money. And he uses these words, love, hate, devoted, despise. I mean, that's, that's as far opposite as it can possibly get. And, and so as we consider our gifts, for example, to this yes initiative over the next three years, some of you have already said yes to it. Some of you have already given advanced gifts. And what that means is over the next three years, you're not going to be able to do something you could have done with that money because it's already devoted to something else. But one of the things I know is when we give money away, it loses its grip on us. And we, we are devoted to Jesus instead of the money. Now, here's the thing. Some of us, after Jesus told us this, or basically what he's saying is money is our chief rival God that we're going to be tempted in this little kingdom of self to have money be our God instead of God being our God. And, and when we say no to our money, what we're saying is no to selfishness, no to building up this kingdom, and yes to building up God's kingdom. So Jesus makes this powerful statement of the importance of choosing God over money, and, and it's interesting. If we do that, what's going to be the natural tendency? If I don't have the money that I used to have, the security that it provided, what's going to happen? Worry. We worry, right? And so here's what it says. He says, that's why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So do you ever worry about anything? I've known some of you for a long time, and I know that some of you worry about everything. <laughs> That's all you pretty much do is worry. Now, my personality isn't really a worrying personality. I've never really been much of a worrier, but I trusted my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. So I've always known his provision in my life. So that makes it possible for me to not worry. Now, my earthly dad wasn't the greatest dad in the world, but you know what? He always provided food and clothing for me. I never gave it a second thought. I mean, when I came to the table for breakfast, I knew there was going to be food to eat. And when I went to my dresser, I opened up the drawer. I knew there were going to be clothes there unless I had them all over the floor, right? Uh, but there were clothes. Some of you didn't have that. Some of you didn't have dads that were like that. Some of you didn't have parents that, were, that thought of your provision first. But what, what Jesus is saying is you don't just have a generic God out there who takes care of you, but you have a heavenly father who's taking care of you. Not just your spiritual needs, not just your emotional needs, but your physical needs. And he used the example of the birds. Now, think about this. If you've ever seen a bird in the summertime, did you ever see a bird like, pushing a little plow? <laughs> did you ever see a bird out there you know, with a hoe, hoeing weeds? Or, or did you ever see a bird barn? If you did, you bought it. They didn't, right? There's no such thing. Because birds don't have to worry about that because their heavenly Father takes care of them. And as Jesus said, we're worth a whole lot more than birds. He loves us intimately. We're his children. They're just birds, so we don't have to worry if we know for sure that this God loves us and is going to provide for us. Why would we worry when the God of the universe is our provider? Now, the next thing it says is this, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. You know, that's a, I don't like that translation. It's a good translation. I mean, it's basically true, but I still like the old they don't toil and they don't spin. You know, because I always like to picture these things. I'm a right brain person, so I think in pictures. And I think of these little lilies out there with their sewing machines, you know, because they don't have them. But that's an interesting picture, isn't it? And they're trying to make their robes or whatever, but they don't have to. And it says, 
that Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully, wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So now he connects faith with worry. He says if we have faith in God, we won't worry. In fact, the conditions, God's love is unconditional. We, we teach that here and we preach that here and we believe that here. We were saved by faith. We were saved by God's grace. We weren't saved by anything we do. We weren't saved by our efforts. But what we also know is that God has a condition. It's right here. The condition for our living faithfully is not to worry because he has it. God has it. And, and to let our faith grow in him, trust in him and not in our stuff. And, and we're, we're building to the culmination of what he's really going to say about how we don't have to worry about our hunger and thirst. But he has one more thing to say. He sort of sums it all up before he gets to the main point. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now, unbelievers is a, is a mild translation of the real word, pagan. Pagans worry about food and clothing and stuff. That's what, and they should worry about it because they don't have a heavenly father who cares for them. So if we worry about that stuff, if we worry about the kingdom of self, what, what Jesus is saying here is we're pagans, or at least we're acting like pagans because pagans worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to put on, how they look, all that kind of stuff. And we don't have to because you know why? Because even before we have a need, God knows it. And he's on it. So here's the punchline of this whole passage. It's the culmination of his entire teaching. When we're challenged to say no to ourselves, why would we do that? Here's the answer. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom above everything else. Seek God's kingdom when you wake up in the morning, when you go out to work or school or wherever you're going to hang out tomorrow. Seek God when you come back in. Seek God when you go to bed. Just seek God. And if we do that, it says this, if we uh, do, he will give you everything you need. Now that's a Pretty great promise, isn't it? Not just pretty, it's great. It's a fantastic promise. If we seek him first, he'll give us everything that we need. Now, does that mean he'll give us everything we want? Of course not. I've asked for some pretty stupid things in my lifetime. I mean, I've been following Jesus since I was 12. You can't even imagine some of the stuff I ask him for. And if he really loves me, he's not going to give me the stuff that I ask for that's going to hurt me. He's not going to give me things that are going to keep me from following him. He's not going to give me things that are going to keep me from putting him first in my life. Here's the interesting thing. You have a lot of preachers out there today that are telling you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to give you all the money you could ever want. Now, why would he do that? Back in verse 19, what did he say? Or actually 24, what did he say? You can't serve both God and money. So why would he pile us up with money so that we would be tempted to follow it instead of him, if he really loves us. Not again, not saying he won't provide, because he is going to provide. And in our day, the basic unit of exchange is money. We don't have to go out, most of us don't have to go out and you know, dig our ground and plant our crops and all that kind of stuff. We just go to the store, right? And we use money. So we have to have some money. But if God loves us, if he really loves us, he's not going to give us tons of money unless he knows what we're going to do with it is invested in the kingdom in sending it on ahead. So 
Pastor Mark is going to preach a great sermon next week. I've already read it. It's going to, challenge, it's going to tell us about the blessings of saying yes. And, and, but right now, I want to remind us that when we seek God's kingdom, what we're saying is no to me. You're saying no to you. And yes, to something that's eternal, something that matters not just in eternity, but something that matters every single moment. Back when we started this um, series, I said what it was going to be all about. And there's this one connecting thread through these five messages. We're in the third one. If you're new today, this is the third message. And you can see the other two online or at the New Life app. But what I said was, when we, or the thread is, when we say yes to God in our lives, we're going to be saying no to many things. When we say yes to God in our lives, we're going to be saying no to many things. Some of them will be good things. I have to tell you that. Sometimes we say no to good things to do God's best things. And that's the way it will work more and more in our lives. This doesn't happen automatically because it's not natural, not natural at all to stop serving ourselves and to start serving this majestic kingdom of God. But I said, you know, back on the very first weekend, what I said was, we're going to be talking during this series about the three-year initiative, and there's the building we're going to build, and all of that kind of stuff, and you can find out all the information you need online about it, and also you're going to be receiving a letter that's going to give you the facts and details this week. But the point is, this isn't a sermon about the next building. Last sermon wasn't about the next building. Next sermon isn't about the next building. This is a series about how do we Put God first from the inside out. How do we live our daily lives in such a way that when people see us, they're going to go, you know, there's something different about that person. I mean, they just don't, they're just not normal. Do you realize it isn't normal to put yourself second or third or fifth? In this culture, it's normal to put yourself first. It's not normal. It's not normal or natural to seek the kingdom of God. It's supernatural. And that's what this whole series is about, that when we put God first, we don't have to worry about our hunger and thirst. But if we don't put God first, then we're on our own. I mean, the God of the universe respects our decisions. He respects our commitments, and he will go with whatever we choose. He'll let us go our opposite way if we want to. So here's the thing. In this culture in which we live, there's a lot of interest in the supernatural. There's a lot of interest in the spiritual. At the one extreme, people are just all about that. And I'm sure the, the new movie that with Tom Hanks is in is going to sell millions and millions of you know, tickets because it's about that supernatural stuff. And, and then on the other extreme, you have all these people who don't want to hear about the supernatural at all. I mean, they don't, they don't want to hear about God at all. It's, it's Atheism is on the rise in this country, but spirituality and the supernatural, interest in the supernatural, on the rise. How is that possible that those two extremes are both on the rise? Very simple. People want to know that their lives have a purpose, that their lives have meaning. They want to have clarity. Now, if you're an atheist, you believe that their life doesn't really have a purpose. You know, I mean, basically, you might as well store up your stuff because after this, this is it. And if this is it, then what's the point of concerning yourself with something better? Now, there are good atheists. In fact, I know some atheists that are better than, you know, me from a standpoint of how they live their lives. But there's no point. And then at the other extreme, I have people that come to me and say, well, you know, Pastor Chris, I'm spiritual, but I really don't have any interest in Jesus. I don't get that. I just don't understand that. How could you be spiritual and you don't have an interest in Jesus? Because if the God of the universe said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and you'll have everything you need, then why are we seeking the meaning in life from any other place? 
Why are we going to some other avenue to find out what life's all about when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he gave us all these teachings that show us how our lives are supposed to work. And as we consider that here, and I mean, if you're here today, you're at least open to the idea that there's a God. You're at least open to the idea that Jesus is that God. And many of you, most of you, I know most of you, most of you have already made that commitment to have Jesus Christ be Savior and Lord in our lives. But here's the thing. Back when I preached in September, I said that our enemy in this spiritual war, the devil, has a strategic advantage. You know what his strategic advantage is, right? Most people in America don't believe he exists. Tough to beat an enemy that you don't acknowledge exists, right? Now, here's the thing we need to understand about this spiritual war. The devil doesn't have to get us to worship him in order to win. All he has to do is get us to say no to God and yes to ourselves. Because if we're worshiping ourselves, he won. If we are worshiping anyone or anything but Jesus Christ in our lives, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the devil already won. And so as we conclude this message, I want us to really seriously consider what I've been saying. And that is, there is a war going on. And the angels and demons are engaged, and we're engaged, and the angels and demons care about our decisions because every yes is either going to build the kingdom of heaven or it's going to build the kingdom of self, which is the kingdom of hell. It really is. Every, every passage you talk about in the New Testament that talks about self, it's we need to submit ourself to Jesus, to God. We need to let ourselves be, you know, controlled by the Holy Spirit so that our lives can be new and different and our lives can matter here, but also for eternity. So, when we don't believe there's a God, we worry. We whine. We work ourselves to death. And we wonder what's the point. We worry. We whine. We work ourselves to death and we wonder what's the point. But when we know that there's a God who's providing for us, then we can rest in him. Now, I'm not saying we go sit under a tree and wait for the delivery UPS truck to bring all our stuff. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we rest in God, and when we lean into our work, we understand our work has a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God so that people will enjoy him forever, so that other people will see in our daily work. And I'm not talking about being a preacher. I mean, hopefully my work would glorify God. But when I was a carpenter, my work glorified God. When I was a school teacher, my work glorified God. Hey, when I was pumping gas at Princeton Junction, New Jersey, my work glorified God. Because as long as we're doing work as unto the Lord, it glorifies God. So he will provide for us. We do our part. He will do his part. That's the way, that's the way it is. And so here's today's point. Commitment, I should say. I will say yes to God first. I will say yes to God first. Imagine tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, uh, we say, God, I'm putting you first. So whenever my first decision tomorrow, I get out of bed, that's my first yes to God, right? I get out of bed. If I stay in bed all day, pretty much that's self. All right, I get out of bed. And then what do I do? Well, if I got work, then I, make it, I, I put it in my mind that I'm going to go and be, I'm going to be the best worker, whatever work I do tomorrow. I go to school tomorrow, I'm going to be the best student that I can be. Every student is different, but I could be the best student I can be. You could be the best student you could be if you go to school. And so it's not about what your you know, friends or classmates are doing. It's about what can you do. Are you doing your best? 
And as we do that, the world changes. I mean, that was the idea 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, went to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit so that he could create a race of people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, right, who would be honoring him and that, that this world would be what it was created to be. And you say, well, you know, it doesn't look that way. No, it doesn't. Because why? Because the kingdom itself is really, really hard to overcome. So today we have a choice. A lot of choices, <laughs> hundreds of them, yes or no. The, count of say, the cost of saying no to ourselves <laughs> is the blessing of being part of the kingdom of God. The cost of saying no to God, that's living like a pagan. That will be the cost. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, meaning he saved you from the sin of your life, the brokenness of your life, the hopelessness of your life, and, and for, from death, ultimately, because we're going to live forever, um, and if you've never chosen him to be your Lord, and that's the harder one, Lord means he gets to tell us how to use our time, our talents, our treasure, and our touch on a daily basis, then why not today? Why not say yes to him right now? Because if you do, then all of those questions about provision and all those questions about purpose and all those questions about why things happen the way they do will become clearer. I won't say that they all come clear. I have about 750 questions for God when I get up there that I don't have the answers for yet. And it's probably longer than that, but you know that's just the ones I can remember. So as we go about this day, if you haven't trusted Jesus, why not today? Just say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm gonna stop worrying about this life, and I'm gonna start to invest my life in you. And if we've done that already, then why not say yes every time we can? Because every yes we say to God is a no to the devil. It's a no to the self it's a no to the world being the way it's not supposed to be. Those are good no's, aren't they? There's good no's and, and bad no's. So let's pray right now, and let's ask God to fill us with his spirit so we can say yes to him. Almighty God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for your goodness and love. I thank you so much that we get to say yes to you. And it's up to us. You don't force us. You don't push us. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can Live out our yeses and our noes to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.